Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, we're back here on the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler, along with Evan Barnard and Ira Work, talking money and investing. John Cam, we're doing that. <laughs> All right. So um, those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, get you on camera. Well, if you don't listen to the podcast, you know, we, there, we have we, we right. videotape segments of this. It may make the video. Who knows? The SEC allows me to play air trumpet on this it show. It does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's good at it too, man. Future's bright if you know where to look, according to the Wall Street Journal. Greg Ippey says, uh, AI was one of the main drivers of last year's surprise stock rally. Is it time, or he says it is time, to take an optimistic take on the economy? I'm not talking about whether inflation keeps coming down or recession avoided. And I think that's the funny thing is that in this particular case, you can't predict markets, but I just, you look back at the 90s. You guys remember the late 90s? I do. I do. It was bad news is good. Uh huh. Constantly. You know, every time I turn around, I'd be watching the financial shows. The market would go up if the news was bad, and it's kind of <laughs> like you know, we have to have, you know, because what what it basically said was that we weren't dealing with an inflation problem and we weren't dealing with an interest rate problem and all of that stuff. But you know, it was constantly that. Well, you know why? Because then when I was selling stock, it was you sell on good news, you buy on bad news. Mm -hmm. Because following good news, something bad was bound to happen. Mm. Following bad news, something good was bound to happen. So it was kind of like you want to sell high, sell on the good news, sell high, buy low, buy on the bad news. Right. Or, and that's the reason why. Or, or kind of what you see now is the bad news tells us that the Fed isn't going to raise interest rates mm -hmm. to create bad stuff in the future. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know. The well, that, well, the market was moving through December based on the fact, the belief that the Fed would, would start right. lowering, lowering interest rates. rates. Right, because the, because the bad news. And I'm like, <laughs> nobody really listened to what Powell was saying. Powell said there could be further incre increases. You know. Yeah, they're, they're all over the place. I was listening to some guys this, uh, from, you know, old Federal Reserve guys this week and they were saying that maybe the second half of the year, you know, who knows? You're, you're trying to look at that and say, gee, that's just one metric out of so many interest right. rates. Right. And that's just short-term interest rates. But, you know, he's looking at this and going, well, there's something else. And I think, I, I tend to think that he's got a point here. You know, it's not telling us what the market's going to do based on it, but I think that there's some stuff going on that you could be optimistic about. But, you know, here, here's something very interesting. I don't know how many people actually think about it. When interest rates are going down, the banks respond very quickly in lowering interest rates. Well, I'm sorry, when they go down, they, they don't respond as quickly yeah. as to when they're raising rates. Mm -hmm. Because when they raise rates... Yeah, they raise rates pretty quick okay. this time. Sure. And what... Everybody out there is hearing is the Fed is raising rates and they think that means the banks are raising rates. 
No, the banks are responding to what the Fed is doing, right. That's right. but the Fed raising rates has nothing to do with the loans that you and I take. Yeah, yeah. Or the credit card interest we pay. It, so, and it's a secondary response. I mean, in that they can indirectly influence interest rates is really what's going on. That's really what you know what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. But my point still being, the rates went up rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Even if the Fed starts lowering rates, it doesn't mean that the banks are going to respond as quickly and nearly as much mm-hmm. because they're still able to make more profits with the higher rates. And you've got a really bizarre yield curve right now. Normally, have an upward sloping yield curve where short-term interest rates are lower than medium-term interest rates are you know, just a little higher. And then long-term rates are a little bit higher than that. So it's normally upward sloping. But now you get this smile. <laughs> to me, it's pretty flat. Fed well, funds well, two year and ten year well, are all really close. The, well, the one year is higher, and then you get to two and three, and then you get to, you know to ten year. It's a little bit lower, and the thirty year is higher. So you kind of got a smile right yeah. now. Is the way I've seen it. A smirk. A smirk. It's a smirk <laughs> yield a curve. Smir- <laughs> a smirky <laughs> yield curve. Influential study by four economists, 2017, concluded that ideas that generate economic growth are becoming harder to find. Wander around MIT, it seems like there are a million innovations going on, but you don't see the numbers on productivity wage or wage growth, one of the authors from MIT told me this week. And, you know, I I think that it's just, you know, you look at that and because, well, you're not seeing the huge influx into the economy, this stuff. But I think a lot of the innovations that are taking place right now are just are just needed to offset some of the population stagnation that we're seeing right now. You mean from a productivity standpoint? Like yeah. robotics, AI, just because there's not the labor force to yeah. fill the jobs. Yeah, yeah you're going to have to. I don't know if you guys saw the news about China, but China is, is they're like pushing these younger women to have babies, have babies. It's your duty. It is your duty. Oh, you have, you saw the article and you printed it, huh? I printed it. Did you really? Absolutely. Okay, I, I didn't think to print it. I just saw it. But yeah. It's fascinating, actually. It is fascinating. And the women are just like, no. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it, the article really is uh, exciting. The title was, uh, China. it's really an inter- it's a transcript of an interview, was mm-hmm. what it was. China mm-hmm. wants more babies. Mm-hmm. Many women are saying no. Right. And, you know, for years, they had the zero population growth Right strategy, yeah, and one you know, child one child, family. and mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately there was—I I can't remember this. It wasn't in the article. There was either a shortage of males or females. I forget which lopsided, but they would only keep one child. And I was thinking there well, was—you like, had a shortage of females because yeah. it was, and the males they wanted were, to they kept, kept, yeah. Um, but even as recently as five years ago. They were fining people or all kinds of bad things that happens in a communist nation uh-huh. if you had more than one child. And now they're paying yeah. to have to try to encourage these women to have children and more than two, you know, yeah. two children and so forth and all kinds of incentives. And for the same reason that, you know, a lot of the birth rates decline in the US, these gals are like yeah, no thanks. We, well, we don't want to have a kid. Well, the graph that they had with the article was telling. I mean, you look at that and you look at the population drop-off was like just absolutely catastrophic. Yeah. 
You know, so they're going, oh, we got to replace these people. Well, you should have thought of that years ago when before yeah. you tried to get the government involved to try to it, engineer. To me, yeah, it's the birth rate. But yeah. to me, it's the same thing as, you know, incentives with green energy, you know, environmental. All of that is get the government involved in anything. It's not going to respond as efficiently as the market is going to fix or forecast a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's what the market's doing here. And he's making this point in this article on uh, the future being bright. He says, take the obvious, most obvious generative artificial intelligence, which lies behind chat GPT and other systems that solve complex challenges in natural language. In just a year, it has become an essential tool. I mean, who'd have thought? Who'd have thunk? An essential tool to countless everyday workers, students, and creators. And that so many from business, from management consultants to Hollywood writers, journalists are afraid of losing their jobs to AI speaks its potential. And they were just looking at the different companies that were involved in this. And as you were talking yeah. about, Evan, the, yeah. you know, the various, the magnificent seven companies. And it said that uh, AI was one of the main drivers of last year's surprise stock rally. Without rough, without roughly 40 AI-related stocks, the S&P would have risen 12% since the end of 2022 instead of 24%. Wow. But here's the point. It says, to be sure, AI stocks might be in a bubble, he makes the point, that they're selling for a high price compared to earnings and book value and all of that stuff. Yeah. But he says, the point being here, and this is why you diversify, by the way, is he might be right. might be in a bubble. I mean, you don't know. But he, he makes this point. He says, internet stocks were back in 2000 as well, but the economic benefits were real. Annual productivity growth doubled to about 3.5% from 1997 to 2003. And you had value stocks and small companies actually went up significantly in 20, uh, 2001, uh, small company stocks, you know, going up like 30% and you don't hear about it because most people didn't own them because they weren't diversified. But here was the point that I've made for years. Who benefits when you have new technology? Is it the creator of the technology or is it the end user? Yeah. And I would submit the, that it's the end user. The people that mutate the technology. Yeah, exactly. And, and thinking about the, when you said, the two, you know, 2000 and uh, the earlier in the conversation about mm-hmm. Uh, bad news and the market seemed to go up in the 90s kind of a deal. Uh, I was back on the dark side during period of at least part of that period of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And dark side it, being stock picker, stock market picking, timer, market timing, you know, you know the, active the, management, the, the traditional investment industry, sell oil stuff, and gas yeah. partners, the whole sure. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like every time there was an announcement, the more money that Amazon lost, <laughs> the higher their stock price. It was just. Okay, they lost well, three billion dollars. Is good. Okay, yeah. it's up six percent. You just right. You're just scratching your head, like okay, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are all kinds of reasons that you could do. Well, see, gee, if if a company is having problems financially, they're less likely to be attacked from a from a standpoint of being a monopoly or whatever. And yeah. I trust who's going to adopt you know, their business yeah, model exactly. if they're constantly losing money. <laughs> exactly. It says innovation's true value, though, isn't just raising gross domestic product or, or stock prices, but improving human welfare. And I think this is the important things that we so often miss. That right now, there's some really interesting things going on out there. There's uh, some some really promising medications for slowing the advance of Alzheimer's. Uh, you have that whole thing about, you know, we've, we've heard about obesity treatments and things like that. 
But it's interesting because not only is, are the drugs being used for that purpose, they're mm -hmm. also being looked at for helping out dealing with people that have cocaine, opioid, nicotine, alcohol addictions. Really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, what if, you know, because you look at the unemployment rate. And we go, oh, my goodness, we got a really low unemployment rate, and it's really tight, and that's gonna, that can be inflationary, right? Yeah. Well, think about if what creates the unemployment rate. You have to look at how many people are out there looking for work. Right. And if you have a whole bunch of people that can't work or aren't looking for work because they're addicted to something, is it possible that all of a sudden now you have a group of people that are added to the labor force which helps improve productivity from that standpoint and reduce costs in other areas. I mean, you just, I, I look at the, the possible down the line effects of how this could play out. And there's just a lot of things to, I, I, I agree to be optimistic about. He said, um, and he made the comment because I've seen, you've probably guys have probably seen a lot of talk about how declining life expectancies and he goes, yeah. it's really misleading. Actually, he says, children born today, will certainly live longer than any other children in history due to the things that are coming around the bend uh, regarding medical science and, and things that are breakthroughs. And, uh, you know, we, we have things, AI is going to be a tool that helps with things that we haven't even thought about. He says, you know, new kind of protein, art, music, design for buildings, you know, pieces of equipment. It's accelerating the discovery process. And it really is because it's so much easier to find information out there. Now, people will often talk to you about its dangers because we tend to be very negative as humans. Yeah. <laughs> we'll look at, oh, my goodness, well, what's the odds that, you know, this, we're designed that way. We're, we're designed to look at dangers for self-preservation. And we are not designed to necessarily be the most optimi optimistic uh, right. you know, beings on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, that, that just comes with the And territory. your brain can't tell the difference. No. Of a fake fear or a real lion, your brain doesn't know the difference. That is absolutely true. You know, you look at the functional MRIs and you see the same exact response with fake things, imagined things, and yeah. real things. Yeah, very, very true, Evan. Listening to the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, Evan Barnard, Ira Work. We're going to take a quick break. Be back right after this. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning, tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get it initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Annuity issuers move move to fill the bank loan gap. What could possibly go wrong? Whoa. This will be interesting. Yeah. 
Okay, so when you invest in, you go to one of these workshops, come to our steak dinner and sit through our workshop, and then at some point they come out and tell you that you ought to be investing some of your retirement money in an annuity because you have to have some safe money. Right. And then you find out that annuity issuers, the companies that issue these <laughs> things, are moving to fill a bank loan gap. Why would they have to fill a bank loan gap? Because the banks are going, nah, we don't think we want to lend money to these people. Because maybe there's a little bit too much risk there, possibly. Could that maybe be No, it? They're, they're only turning down their best customers for loans, Paul. They're not turning down those high-risk deadbeat oh. borrowers. Oh, so, Come on now. So I got this wrong. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. We'll move on. Now, state insurance capital counting rules strongly, according to this article, in uh, I think Advisor, it's a publication written for financial advisors, strongly encourage U.S.-based life and annuity insurers to invest in high-grade corporate bonds. Of course, you, you know, why are we in, investing in annuity? Because we're scared that the stock market's going to go down, which is stocks, which is what? Companies. Well, if all of a sudden stocks go down and they never come back and the companies go out of business, what else can't they pay? They can't pay off you know, their, their bonds. They're gonna, you're going to have a problem with the bonds. They're going to go down in value as well. That's corporate bonds. That can be an issue. But anyway, so it says plummeting bond yields pushed insurers to bump up allocations to other assets. And so in essence, what happened is that the, the private equity firms have acquired some life and annuity insurers and connected with others through large reinsurance arrangements. So when you have an insurance company and they have liabilities on the books, they might have reinsurers that insure the insurance company. So what's happening is they're actually having a greater increased insurer use of private credit and other assets that pay relatively high rates. Why are they paying high rates? Because relatively to what? Relative to other things. They're paying higher rates because there's more what? Risk. And it says it's difficult to sell. They're, they're more difficult to sell than publicly traded stocks and publicly traded bonds. You know, so in essence, what we're looking at is something, you know, what could possibly go, go wrong, as I said? And their Fitch can their insurance rater expects life insurers to continue to shift portfolios to private asset classes to capture Ill illiquidity premiums. What's an illiquidity premium? It's a higher interest rate for investing in something that you may not be able to get your money back out of. Hence, we call it illiquidity. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you think about two thousand and eight. Seven and eight. What? What was the instigation of that whole meltdown? Mortgages getting repackaged and subprime lending and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And now the theoretical safe money is packaging. I'm sure they're packaging those instruments. You know, yeah, turning them into whatever yeah, collateralized mortgage obligations or something. Yeah. Yes. Well, since nine, since nineteen eighty five, there have been thirty two insurance companies that have gone bankrupt. Yeah, people don't think about that. Uh -uh. And you think you know it's safe, it's safe, it's guaranteed, and and it's that's what gets me is they get to use that word. Yeah. And I look at that and go, oh, come on, really? 
<laughs> you get to use a word that implies that there's just no chance that you're going to have any kind of problem whatsoever. And yet nobody, you know, no regulator says that there's anything wrong with that. Well, it's like the 32-year warranty thing on your roof when it's redone. <laughs> 32-year. The 30-year warranty. 30-year warranty. Yeah, well, 30 years on the shingles. Okay. I don't think any shingles have lasted 30 years. And then are the companies still in business to pay, uh, the, pay for the shingles? Yeah, good, good point. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.